Blog Talk Radio. There's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. And I saw that bird get a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue of storing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and looked back, and that's when I thought I saw one. It's actually attacked two railroad workers, uh, killed livestock. You know, there's a lot of weird stuff that was going on. Monster X Radio. It is February 23rd, 2014. Johnny Bigfoot here with Shane Corson. How's it going, Shane? Going well as always there, Johnny. Going well as always. Glad to be here. Right on. How's, uh, how's What's the new in Bigfoot news? Well, Big t- pretty good. It's very deep snow, very cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, I hear you. We had about finally a foot of some, snow uh, the other day. Out, out there, yeah. We finally got some great weather out here in Oregon, so I managed to make it out <clears throat> over the weekend, uh, you know, do a little squatching out on, uh, on uh, the Oregon coast, and, you know, it went pretty well. So, uh, you know, uh, got to take those opportunities when you can get them. Uh, we're in our kind of cold spell of the year, and, we had temperatures in the uh, mid 40s, and you know, the area I was in was there was a little bit of snow on the ground, but not a whole lot. You know, camping at night, you know, was a little little chilly, but not too bad, not too bad, man. But better better weather in our end than your end, that's for sure, out there in Minnesota. Oh God, it's a <laughs> that storm was brutal, and once they get all the snow plowed, it's just all ice on the road, so you can't drive very fast, or you'll just spin out. Yeah. It's a, it's one of the worst winters on a long time. <laughs> That's for sure. Cold. A lot of snow this month. Yep. Um, we're we're not plan- out of the woods yet. Well, when do you plan getting out? I know you got some you got some ideas going on for I think the the summer months doing some uh, the dogman stuff. But when do you plan getting out? Uh, probably in a couple months. 
as yeah. far as getting out somewhere outside of the city here. That's when a lot of the campgrounds open up and things are thawed out. Yeah. Because it's pretty yeah. sloppy. Once the snow melts, it's pretty sloppy for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, hopefully in April. April? Yeah. Well, that's, that's going to be a, a pretty busy month up here um, for us. But, you know, like I said, got out over the weekend. Um, Larry, my buddy Larry, who's in the chat room, uh, we were out in the coast, and, you know, we found uh, some some pretty, uh, pretty, pretty good, great tracks, um, you know, measuring about 18 inches uh, in an area that looked like, it was kind of weird, we were going down this trail and we came across these tracks, so he, he noticed them first, and further down the trail, we were kind of, uh, kind of following some of the deer uh, tracks um, that we had come across, and came across an area that he coined as the uh, crime scene, uh, because it looked like it's, there was some sort of scuffle, there was these a bunch of moss and ground just been turned up. Uh, there was deer tracks around it uh, and whatnot. It looked like some sort of scuffle or something happened up there. I'm not quite sure exactly what happened, but uh, he labeled it the crime scene, which I thought was it was pretty pretty funny. But um, other than that, you know, uh, we heard. I it was funny because I went and uh, we were out with Gunnar Monson as well, and uh, I went on a little hike to grab him a recorder that I'd set out. Um, Earlier that evening, uh, the next morning went out about probably oh eight eight thirty I think around about the time to grab the recorder, and I came back to camp with the recorder you know and sat down and kind of listened to it with my uh, my earphones and uh, heard this this howl and I thought it was on my uh, and this is you know eight thirty in the morning thought it was on my uh, recorder and Gunner and my buddy Flair look up and they're looking around. I take off my earphones, and I said, you know, was that how on my recorder, or did you guys hear that? And, they're, you know, they're like, it came from the east. That that wasn't on your recorder, you know. And I, I was I was really ticked off on myself because, you know, I didn't expect anything to happen at 8 o'clock, you know, 8.30 in the morning, and I shut off my recorder. I didn't get it recorded. I haven't heard back from Larry How long yet. do those he, recorders he, batteries, or how long do those recorders record for on average? Well, the Tascam, you know, I got, I have, I need to actually. Will it go all night? Oh yeah, uh, 23 hours for mine. You know, um, it, I okay. use lithium batteries, so it, it lasts forever. You know, I can go two days, and it'll keep recording. Nice. So you know, it's interesting that a lot of stuff you don't hear in person. You you know, after listening on the recorder later on, especially in the wee hours of the morning, you know, um, you get some pretty unusual stuff. You know, we went to bed I think around 1:15 in the morning on a Saturday night, and uh, you know. I think 115. We started hearing a barn owl just go crazy out there, and it was it was that was pretty awesome. Got that on my recorder, but um, I really haven't even done, I haven't even touched my recorder yet since I got back home. So I don't know if I have anything else. Speaking on there of or not. howls, yeah. Did you uh, How- see that blog I did on the 17th with that strange howling that woke up the city of St. Paul, Minnesota? Yeah, yeah. That was that, that was interesting. That was pretty. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, uh, they thought it was demolition, and they think it's ice shifting on the Mississippi right. River now. But it, to, it has I, like a Bigfoot it, kind of ish sound. It does, but I have to lean towards you know I've never heard ice like that, but I have to lean towards not being 
Bigfoot, but you know I can't say 100%. You know I'm not not 100% sure either way, but it just didn't quite sound like Bigfoot to me. It sounded more uh, yeah uh, mechanical and from you know something from nature. So I'm not really 100% yeah, sure. Yeah, it sounded like they're it. bouncing or reflecting. The sound could have been going off of some sort of metal buildings or yeah something. It just had a weird weird sound to it. Yeah, it was pretty wild to wake up to. The, I didn't wake up to it, but you know, people east of here did. Yeah, you know, and it, that's the crazy thing about howls, you know, and, and whatnot. You know, most of the ones we hear on in this particular area, it's just like a, it's not very long in duration, and you know, it's definitely no barn owl or anything like that. It's a, you know, it's like a whoo, you know, but a little bit longer than that. But it, it's similar in that nature, and you know the. There was a t- time past that Larry and Gunner were out there with some other people, and they had heard um, what they refer to as almost like samurai chatter. And it, it basically, whatever this was, it covered about six miles. So there was there was obviously more than one, but at the same time, they got the impression like it was hunting something. You know, I wasn't there, but from listening to what they have told me. It was uh, like something. It was they were hunting. It was it was weird. They traveled a huge amount of area real quick. Obviously, more than um, from what I hear, there was more than one. Um, but uh, you know, I haven't heard that personally. But uh, most of the the howls in this area are, are you know short in duration. You know, get a lot of wood knocks. Um, you know, I think I mentioned on previous show that you know we had a car coming up down this trail, which was pretty odd at a late time. And had knocks. Oh, I would say two minutes before the car arrived, before we even heard it. And the car did the car did like a little circle and, and drove down the road. And uh, you know, then we had knocks as they were leaving. You know, suggesting that it was Bigfoot. You know, what's the what? Why would they be doing this? Is it some sort of communication? Like, hey, there's a, there's someone approaching. You know, and then they leave and they're gone. You know, I don't know, but the knocks were you know. Got them on recorder uh, along with some raw clanks. Um, this area is just—I mean, yet or on Saturday we saw, oh, I don't know, probably close to 10 to 15 deer in different locations. I got a couple of them on my GoPro uh, as we were coming up on this clearing on this ridge. Saw some deer just home butt down, you know. I mean, so it's evidence to me that there's plenty of uh, animal life in this area. Uh, which makes it just such a great spot. And the amount of, uh, you know, we got so so much rain, the rivers up there are just raging. So it's, re- it's really cool uh, to come across stuff like that, you know, as far as, um, you know, trying to try and knock down all, you know, why would Bigfoot be in this area? You know, I hope to be out there and hear the chatter that they had come across. Um, and because uh, uh, it's just such a vast area with valleys and ridges and trees. And, uh, you know, there's a, there are some clear cuts out there, too, and power lines. Even though it's you know semi remote, it's it's an area that's that's um, you know had its history of encounters and sightings. You know, for some reason, you know, with, I think it likes this area, and it's close to the coast too. So, you know, a lot of people uh, think that it could be a travel corridor. I know Larry doesn't believe that um, that it's a travel corridor that they kind of hunker down in this area year round, and it is. You know, they do get snow in this area, but it's pretty temperate, really. In in, in all aspects. Yeah, the Bigfoot woke up St. Paul. <laughs> 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 One lonely 
Hungry Bigfoot. <laughs> yeah, that's it was a I've never heard that sound from ice before, but when spring comes they'll have ice outs on lakes and if you go onto the lake on the right day and time the ice will be like these plates and it'll be shifting and it'll kind of be creeping up on shore and doing some cool things and cool noises, but I've never heard it where it sounds yeah. like a howl or a moan. That was pretty cool. It'd be really cool. It'd be really cool, Johnny, but you could do, um, if you could do like a comparison, if you could record some of those sounds and maybe try and, you know, figure out exactly if that's, you know, those St. Paul sounds were similar, um, you know. Yeah. That's a I'd unique like deal. That. It's cool that someone actually recorded it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I heard I, I listened to them, and they were eerie-sounding, period. So I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's hard to say what exactly they were, but I'd have to lean towards ice. But, you know, I'm, I've never heard ice uh, other than what's on yeah. TV. I mean, they had you know? the, they had the, I think it's like the Army Corps of Engineers and then some park people that manage that part of the river. So they're the ones that... I came to the conclusion of that it was the ice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, it, like so. I said, it's, it's um, hard to say. You know, I don't know, but uh, I think if you do yeah, comparison, you know, good... I, are you still there? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say if you can do a comparison of that, that I mean, man, that'd be that'd be fantastic. I plan on you know. Um, I plan on doing a lot of recording this year. I have, like I said, I, I'm trying to get some decent uh, equipment that I, you know, on my PC that I can break down some of these sounds because, you know, I'm listening over, you know, sometimes 10, 12, 13 hours uh, of audio. And, you know, yeah, you get, you just get that one howl or that knock and it try and to take it apart, um, you know, and, and uh, share. That's my goal is to kind of share some of that stuff, but it's time consuming. Yeah, especially if you got 12 hours of a <clears throat> recorded audio. But I guess, you know, hopefully you're a light sleeper so you could wake up when you hear it and maybe yeah. make a note of where it was on the recorder. I'm, I just got my auto recorder. I haven't even really looked at it or used it yet. So it'll be interesting to let that baby record out camping. Yeah, but... um. You know, just waiting for uh, Michael, Phillips to, Michael Phillips to call in here. Um, but uh, until yeah, he does, like um, yeah, I just went on to call in. Someone, Hopefully he'll call in soon here. But if not, uh, someone flashed for on. a second there. But <laughs> yeah, the owls are cool in the middle of the night and all sorts of you, noises. Yeah, you know, uh, things that go bump in the night. Yeah, it's weird because this time around when we were out there, you know, there were some uh, ravens in the area and the usual birds. And uh, the first day out, you know, Friday going out there, we didn't see too much, you know, wildlife other than the ravens. Uh, come Saturday, the deer, um, man, they were just, they were something else in the area. I couldn't believe how much deer we saw during this time of year. Um, and, uh you know, you see some, you know, other critters out there. But, you know, for me, the deer was just phenomenal because it is an area that a lot of people do hunt in, you know. Um, I don't I don't know why they're so prevalent right now. Cause we've, you know, I've been out there before. Larry, uh, my buddy, knows this area really well. And he goes out there, uh, shoot, he goes out there year-round, and he's never seen so much deer. So I don't know why they're moving into this area so much. 
um, with the the howls um, and then these tracks we found. You know, they they I have to admit they weren't exactly castable, so there was it was like a hard clay on the bottom. You couldn't really cast them. I thought about it and the rest and said, no, I'm not going to cast these. Um, but you know. Live and learn, and, you know, you got to know when to cast up and when not to, if it's worth it. You know, I, I know Cliff and them say cast everything, but, you know, I don't know what we could have pulled from this. Yeah, it's not always practical. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, if you're doing um, it for a full-time job, it might be one right. thing. Is, hey, uh, this, is this Michael? This is Michael. Michael Phillips, how you doing, man? I'm just fine. Thanks All for right. having me on the show, guys. Absolutely, really, really, uh, really happy to have you, man. Uh, have you on the show? I, you know, I've been looking forward to having you on for a while, and you know, Hemden Hod, if uh, you know how to contact you, you know, I know we're we're friends on Facebook, and I've been in some of your groups before, but you know, um, it kind of you kind of dropped off the radar a little bit, and uh, you know, I didn't know exactly what that meant. You know, I didn't know if you uh, just kind of wanted to be left alone and whatnot. So, but you know, I contacted you and you graciously accepted, and you know, really happy to have you here. Well, thank you guys, and you know, the Bigfoot community and and my pursuit of Christianity sometimes um, bump heads. Um, notoriety and popularity are not uh, good for me. <laughs> yeah. I'm an outdoorsman, you know, and and quite frankly, guys, I'm not even much of a researcher. What I am is a man who likes to spend a lot of time out in the woods, and you know, oftentimes I found myself getting above my head, um, talking about things I had no knowledge of, and I decided to keep it uh, low key uh, with friends that I trust and care about. I'll share my stories, but I'm yeah. not seeking attention. I, I'm really seeking to. Uh, to love the outdoors and, and to hunt and to fish and to camp. Those are my passions. And uh, sometimes they run you into excitement. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you know, like you said, you know, you're an avid uh, hunter and outdoorsman. Um, you know, you've lived in Alaska, Colorado. Yes, sir. Uh, yeah. And uh, do you consider yourself, um, I mean, you know, being a hunter, you know, and around, you know, the outside and whatnot do you consider yourself a pretty good uh, tracker uh you know what i i would consider myself uh one of the very few non-native expert trackers i really would um i can find game that other fellas can't find i can fill my tags um it's something that i developed a love for and a passion for um to read the signs of nature um, it, it goes among the same as discernment with humans, how to read a face, read emotions. Um, I read the wilderness and the tracks in it, and uh, it's a passion and a love just to go out and see what I can find. And so I, I've become very good at tracking uh, because I wanted to, and it's taken, I don't know, 15, 20 years to really even hold a candle to some really good trackers. but. Uh, it's something I've worked at, and it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I don't consider myself an expert tracker, and I definitely don't consider myself um, in the graces of someone like yourself. You know, I've seen some of your, oh, your, your track. Well, no, I, I, you know, you got, well, first of all, you got a lot more experience tracking than I do. But uh, I've seen some of your, your stuff that you've shared in the past, and I was pretty, pretty blown away. Um, 
You know, and, I, and I, to be honest with you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, no, to be honest with you, I, I've learned a little bit from you, you know, and uh, that's what kind of drew me to you, uh, not just as being a fellow Christian, but just learning some stuff from you uh, as far as tracking. You know, I really kind of took some notes there, um, you know, and, along with a few others, but you're one of the guys that I kind of, kind of, you know, when you spoke, I listened sort of thing. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. That makes me smile because uh, the world of cryptozoology and, and Bigfoot, um, as far as my sensitivities go and, and how I like to treat people and um, the compassion I feel, they're really not compatible. So to hear that from a good man um, is a great thing. And, and as far as any skill at tracking, you know, I know just enough to get myself in trouble. Other than that, um, <laughs> apparently. It, <it's, laughs> yeah. It, so, so we'll leave it at that. But I, I appreciate the, the, uh, the sincere compliments. Oh, absolutely. Now, um, you live in uh, Eaton, Eaton, Colorado? I live out in the flatlands, out on the national grasslands of Colorado, and it is just beautiful prairie country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and uh, I mean, uh, you got you have a lot of access right now. I mean, you're not too far away from, I mean, how far away are you from, like, a, an area that you would hunt? Well, and even, Shane, from, like, an area where some of the prints that I found have been taken would be an yeah. hour and a half from here. So, you know, basically I get on I-25, and uh, really the biggest areas in Colorado that, that I found any evidence are up the major canyons, and that's Highway 14 and Highway 34, Big Thompson, Poudre Canyons. Um, at the top of Poudre Canyon would be Cameron Pass, Gould, Colorado, um, I had an excellent sighting there, pulled some pretty cool pictures off the top of a hill. And then you've got uh, the Estes Park area, which is up uh, um, a little bit uh, south of that, and that's the Big Thompson Canyon, and I found some really excellent prints and some hard granite. So, you know, I'm thinking they like rivers, they like valleys, they like to be able to jump over the top of the hillside and disappear, and, and that's kind of where I found a lot of evidence is in those areas. Yeah, I agree. Um, rivers and bodies of water are important, so are valleys and ridges. Rocks. Uh, yeah, and rocks, yeah, absolutely. I've brought that up, uh, I've brought that up in a couple of forums before that uh, rocks actually play a huge role. It's just not something a lot of people consider, but rocks do play a huge role Oh, man, for for all sorts of wildlife. I mean, a, a lot of your predators love rocks, you know, vantage point, concealment, shelter. Um, a lot of times rocks are pinch-off points and valleys and, and saddles where you have to pass through them to get to uh, down to the river or whatnot, and those are just really good jump points. And every time I find a good jump point with game trails is a good place to look for evidence. Absolutely. I, I talked Make to Derek Reynolds. table. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I talked to Derek Reynolds about this, and he was talking about the amount of game trails you can find actually going across rocks. You know, uh, I shared some, some areas with him and, uh, and pictures, and, you know, he said that, uh, you know, a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of hunters actually will hang around that sort of thing, which is true, but I just never really considered that. You bet. It's just yeah. kind of, I don't know. It's, um, you know, you, you just kind of get a feel... Here's the deal. If you're a bow hunter and you have to walk to find your game, you don't want to walk too far. So you kind of learn um, that the intersection of, of game trails, and they seem to go in tiers in Colorado, 
Um, you'll have a big trail at the bottom of the hill towards the river, and your, your elk will come in, your big game animals, your deer, and then maybe a little f- further up there's another trail that the bull elk will come in, and then a little further up there's one where the mule deer bucks will come in, and it's just a fantastic, like, network of highways and if you learn how to read them you just subtle signs that just bring you to points that are truly confluences of wildlife habitation those are just the neatest places to spend the day and it's not easy to find a good print you guys know that you guys know more than most people you might let's see in estes park i searched for three days for a print and must have looked at a thousand set of tracks Mm -hmm. to find one print (laughs) No, honestly, you know, until you're yeah, sick no, of you're, it. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I was I was laughing because it's so true. You you end up getting, you're, in most cases, 99% of the time, you get frustrated because you're looking at so many different tracks uh, and or lack of tracks. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's gold. It is absolute gold when you come across one that you believe is, you know, uh, a legitimate track of a Sasquatch. <laughs> it is. And, and guys, that, that brings up a real good point is, you know, as far as me dropping out of the Bigfoot world, it wasn't really a personality conflict with any people, but when you throw down the best evidence, you can throw down time after time. And it just doesn't get anywhere with anybody. It just seems to me like those are the sort of things that from then on I just wanted to keep to myself. If I really wanted to go find Bigfoot tracks, I guess I could drag my butt up there and, and and suffer through walking, you know, 25, 30 miles in the mountains and find them. But, you know, I kind of lost that spark. I kind of lost that, the energy to go out and pursue it because what I see is I see a bunch of good evidence out there and we still, it, it just leads nowhere. I mean, it, it just, it, so it frustrates me. And then that leads me to the point of, well, keep it to yourself because, until something huge comes along, we're really just kind of piddling in our own mess. And, and I got tired of that. So, you know, it's nice to hear that other people appreciate a, a more subtle form of evidence like a print because, quite frankly, just to find a print is is quite a bit of work. So, yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, that's the, the show's one of the hype. main forms of evidence. Really, yes, do you think they cover their tracks? You know, sometimes, I really don't. I mean, cause I you seem think... to only sometimes you only find one or two, or when you think you, you know, there'd be a bigger trackway, or you know, how does a creature I... that is that heavy? I don't know, but I do have a I do have a thought on that. I was talking to J C Johnson one time, and he was showing me some prints of a pretty big Sasquatch down in in uh, I don't know whether it was New Mexico or Arizona, but. I was like, it looks like a, a, an Indian that would wear a moccasin 150 years ago. Now, how hard would that be for me to track today? It would be like he was invisible because the moccasin would displace enough of his weight. And the way they can run, the, the, way, the smoothness of their gait, the lightness of their feet, good luck. I mean, really, it's going to be a really hard thing to track. But what I Excellent found point. up here in the mountains is that these suckers will dance on rocks. They'll jump over snow into dry patches. I mean, what they do is they seem to have this 30-foot span of leaping that they can really call their own shot. So 
a traditional hunter or tracker like me would not even know to identify mm-hmm. the anomaly that's going on on the ground with the Bigfoot. You'd just be like, what the hell is that? I have no idea. Well, let's go find an elk. Um, so, you know, I guess it's <laughs> a matter of being able to discern what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. And, and, and you're from Alaska the, originally? Yeah. No, I just, uh, me and my wife went up there for seven years because I really love the outdoors and, I mean, what better place to learn how to be an outdoorsman than Alaska? And I just kind of threw myself yeah. into gold mining and and uh, camping. And, you know, my first experience with even seeing a Bigfoot was in Alaska, but I wasn't looking for a Bigfoot. I was gold mining. So, you know, the pursuit of gold mining brought me into some territory that maybe I shouldn't have been in. And... uh you know, led for an exciting night, but it's always a passion of something else that I've even experienced an encounter in the woods with a Bigfoot. You know, you know, Michael, the thing about the gold, the gold mining and gold panning thing I find interesting is, you know, we've had William Barnes on the show before. You're probably aware of him. Yes, sir. Yeah, and uh, that was his encounter as well when he was he was actually out by himself. I'm not sure if you were during your initial encounter. I don't recollect, but. Uh, he was out by himself uh, doing the same sort of thing out gold mining, and uh, that's when he had his experience. You know, do you think there's something to? Is it just being in a remote area? Do you think, or is there something to? Uh, you know, more to this? I'm not sure, but I know that I placed myself in in a place maybe a, a more experienced man wouldn't have. There was, uh, I had gone up to an area right at the base of a. Uh, well, the, the Denali National Park, there's a mountain range that kind of sits beneath Denali, which is called the Talkeetna Range, part of the Alaska Range. Um, and that's in between Willow and Talkeetna on uh, North Highway 3. So me and my dog ventured out, and we spent, I don't know, maybe a day and a half working our way up this trail called the Pinochle Trail, and that's a gold mining trail that people just love the four-wheel on because i mean it's beautiful it's really like going back to the land of the lost and you can pull up pictures of pinochle trail on the internet and see how glorious it is but i kind of camped on top of a beaver pond at the intersection of five game trails i counted five and that was probably really dumb now that i think about it because (laughs) (laughs) i mean seriously what an idiot from colorado man (laughs) <laughs> I'm lucky I, I didn't get killed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there was, you know, bear, moose, wolves, um, all manner of predators on that trail, and I was just too naive to realize it. But I had my dog with me, and his name was Moose, and he was a 200-pound Malute Malamute native to Alaska, and he was kind of hanging out with me. But I think the thing that was is my dog was attracting animals, and me cooking food um, pretty much at the base of the Denali Range by myself might not have been a good idea. But (laughs) that might have pulled in some action that night, guys. (laughs) You know, I didn't think about it. I was just a dumb uh, kid. What were you cooking? 
You know what? I'm going to be real honest with you. I went to Starbucks and got me some of those bottled Starbucks coffees because I had a four-wheeler. I was like, you know what? Live it up, baby. And uh, I think I was running me some spam on, on some sort of improvised rock apparatus like a paratrooper would do. Oh, and, uh, spam, of course. So, you know, you had the fat, salt, <laughs> grease cooking. <laughs> nice. But, I think, it, you know, what it is, is is you get into these places that not a lot of people go, and you get on the highways that the animal travels. And I do believe that Sasquatch or Bigfoot, when they're not in a populated area, would travel the easiest routes, and that would be game trails. I mean, why wouldn't you in Alaska travel a game trail? Um, yeah. You're not going to run well, across because other, I suppose... When people aren't hunting, that'd be a good idea. But during hunting season, you'd probably want to stay off those if you're a Bigfoot. You would, except for the, you know what, in in this part of Alaska, you could honestly hear people on a four-wheeler coming five, six, seven miles away. That was just how mm-hmm. wide open. It would be like pressed up against a ledge of granite, and I have pictures, but just being right up against a mountain range, saddled by a bunch, a series of beaver ponds, and then one long mining trail with nothing but miles and miles of forest to the Richardson Highway or or Highway 3 North. So it was like an open amphitheater, and that's what really got me about my encounter is it happened, I think, between 2 and 3 in the morning, and I never heard a a thing. I didn't hear anything, Mm. nothing, Not not a step. My dog uh, was alerting me. Here's the scary part for me. Um, we, I was in a tent, had the four-wheeler parked right next to the tent, and I wake up, got my rifle right next to me because of the bears. But my dog is sitting on top of the tent and squashing me, um, kind of like a protective, like a German shepherd would do to protect you, lay over the top of you, and was growling, just this insane terrible growl i'd never heard him growl and it just scared the bejesus out of me i mean really i don't think i've told other people that i've never been that scared before and it was just because this dog would protect me with his life and i knew something was going on so i'm thinking grizzly bear which is totally scary enough i mean i wasn't even thinking sasquatch but i'm thinking i have to deal with the brown bear and so I kind of, uh, I'm scared. It was hard to move. Have you guys ever had that? I mean, it was um, hard I, for... I have, uh, and not because of, uh, you know, well, I have on a few occasions where you just kind of feel like you, you, you're kind of frozen, but it's a fear thing. It's not, you know, I guess there's a lot of different terms for it, but I, I found it to be fear. I was just kind of frozen for a second, then I snapped out of it, you know, because, you know, your your survival instinct kind of kicks in or you're, you're, you know, what is this? And you realize you have to do something. You can't just sit there. I know. And that's kind of how I felt is I can't sit here because I really didn't want to go deal with what I just didn't want to deal with it. It never happened to me before either camping in Colorado or Alaska, many, many weeks of being out at night. This had never happened. So it was kind of like I just reverted to what you have to do and let's go out and defend your defend yourself because that's how I felt with my dog pressed on me the way he was. I felt like... At, at uh, I, 2 or 3 in the morning, right? Yeah, bro, and the thing is, yeah. is the sun goes down at 11, so you're up 
in the summer, you're just going, going constantly, and I passed out cold. You know, I, I drank at the time, and I probably had two or three Coors beers, and I was probably zonked. And uh, when I got up, it just was like I have to deal with Alaska. You know, you're in your yeah. peaceful bunk, and then all of a sudden it's like wham, reality. But when I unzipped the tent and stood up, I mean, I remember the first thing I yelled is, if you're a person, I'm going to shoot you dead because you're scaring me and my dog, and I yelled it. And uh, the dog just keeps growling, and, and there was this big, big, beautiful pine tree maybe 30 feet away from my fire in my tent, and it was majestic. It was like 80 feet tall and 30 feet around at the base, and you could actually camp under its canopy. It was so so big, and behind it there was just something moving around, and my dog kept growling at it, and I thought, dang, it's a bear. And what the heck's going on? And then, you know, you could kind of see there's enough moonlight out. You could kind of see maybe not uh, any sort of familiar shape or anything like that, but what I could see is when the light and darkness would pass in between the boughs of the tree, and it would go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you know, kind of like stomping, kind of like a rhythmic back and forth stomping, like, uh, I don't know, like football players do when they're warming up or whatever, or a monkey kind of swinging side to side. And, my yeah. dog's head would just keep following it, and um, I'm kind of dopey and half asleep and freaking out, and so I start really concentrating on what's going on, and yeah, you can see it kind of moving back and forth, and people say they swing with a little bit of sway. That would remind me of swaying back and forth, and then I'm really yelling, you know, you're scaring me, and I'm going to shoot you, and uh then it just kind of like doesn't do anything for a few minutes, and I'm standing there just frozen, holding my rifle. And I'm like, I have had paratrooper training, but this was a real nut check because uh, um, it was so unfamiliar. Even if it, would, it was a bear, I think I would have felt the same way. If it was a grizzly bear, I probably would have felt the same amount of fear, but I couldn't Excuse really tell it. Well, thank you. But yeah, you couldn't you, tell you exactly both. what you were dealing with. And here's the thing is, you know, two minutes or a few minutes of not doing anything, and then you can hear it run through my camp, cut across me, and it looks like a refrigerator leaning over on two-by-fours. I mean, that's how tall it was, uh, 10, 11, 12 feet tall, bent wow. over. Yeah. And it was bent over at a 45, like it was crouched down, like, I'm go you know, I'm going to shoot at you. Well, you know what, if I'm going to shoot at, if you're going to get shot at, you're going to lean down and you're going to run. <laughs> It's kind of what it reminded me of, like it was afraid I was going to shoot it. And uh, it went behind these trees behind my camp, and it really started making noise. It starts stomping and clicking its teeth and pulling branches out, and then I'm pulling the bolt back on my rifle at this time because uh, my dog had crawled underneath the four-wheeler, and I had decided the safest thing for me to do was join him because kind of like over the seat of the four-wheeler behind it because this animal behind the trees, the trees would have been an obstacle and my four-wheeler would have been the last obstacle and it seemed to be getting closer, like 24, 25 feet. And I couldn't smell anything, but I could definitely see branches flying and I could see it stomping and I could see how tall it was. And as far as hair... It would be like dreadlocked woolly mammoth hair, you know. It would be like really dirty, long, um, unkept, stinky. I couldn't smell it, but it just looked like dreadlocked, nasty, greasy stuff. 
just kind of swinging. And um, at this time, he had swung behind it, so I had a little moonlight. And right. I, uh, I think I yelled again, and then I think I just tripped out, and I shot about five or six, seven rounds um, over its left or I think left shoulder, right up by it, where its ear would be. And uh, I didn't want to shoot it because I really wasn't sure what it was. Right. But I wanted it out of there. And I think by the time all of this had transpired, this is like an ongoing thing. I mean, this this was like hours this thing was behind my camp, stalking around. And I shot it at it this one time. It was silent for about 10, 15 minutes, and it came back. And then I'm really, really scared. And that's when I shot at it, and it ran down the hillside. And there was that beaver pond I was telling you about. Yeah. And it ran through the beaver pond. And I've got pictures of the mountaintop. It ran over a mountaintop, and it ran down into the Caribou uh, River um, estuary. And that's like a a two-and-a-half-mile run because I took my four-wheeler up at the next day. But... I don't remember how many times it circled my camp. I don't really remember how many times it chattered its teeth at me. I think I was pretty much terrorized. I I really couldn't think straight. And my wife's behind me, and when we were in Alaska, I remember us talking about me maybe having to go see a psychologist so that I could go out in the woods again after that because I didn't go back out. In, in Alaska for a year, and I thought it was pretty tough, but um, it shook me. I mean, it really, really shook me, and I don't know any more details other than I could see how big it was. I didn't see any whites of the eyes. I saw no whites of the eyes like you would a person. Um, it felt like it was going to I felt like it was going to come after me. I really did, or I wouldn't have shot at it. Michael, how long did so? How much? How long did this event transpire? How long did it last? Well, I remember I I'd, I'd kind of written this down because I did a something for my friend Michael Merchant, but I think that if I said two or three in the morning, I don't think that it was resolved until after five in the morning. So I remember kind of at 5.30 in the morning after it had run across the beaver pond um, feeling like I was left alone. I mean, I felt like the whole time that my camp was surrounded, I kept hearing things. I don't know whether I was tripping hypervigilant because I was um, all adrenaline up, but it really seemed to me, and I've, I've told other people, like the first time I shot at it didn't even seem to bother it. The second time... It ran away, but I remember at 5 in the morning still having things going on around my camp. And the next morning, um, I didn't think I really left camp till about 10.30 in the morning. I needed to sleep, so we just curled up next to the four-wheeler and slept all morning. But when I checked for prints behind the spruce tree, very interesting. I didn't find a lot of prints, but I found one, and it was, like, massive. It was, oh, mm, I'm going to say 24 inches long, and I didn't have a tape measure, right? And I'm not having a camera, a really good camera, but it looked like somebody that had a two-foot, two-by-six that pressed it, you know, yeah. 18, eight inches into the ground, 
and then the rest of the tracks were just it, it was pretty much mudded out um and then i found one track down by the pond and running up the hill i didn't find any tracks at all so um now, maybe did, two tracks out of that whole episode and that that that's pretty common with some of these uh type of encounters did you uh did you happen to uh, survey the damage area? I mean, did you go out to where you saw the branches flying? The, and yeah, stuff they, like, and this stuff. thing pulled like, um, and they're not big trees, but trees we couldn't pull out. I would say, you know, geez, let me think. He was pulling out 8, 10, 12-foot trees because what it was is this was just like a little a little windbreak that was planted or had seeded and some of the bigger trees had fallen so they weren't quite mature, but there was at least three that were ripped out. And then I remember, now that you mentioned it, that um, running up the hill, he was grabbing at whatever trees and stumps he could find and pulling with them. You could hear him pull, and when I looked, there was a couple stumps that were pulled out, like, um, and not stumps from people cutting with chainsaws, but stumps from natural occurrences. Um, there wasn't any wood cutting done out there. But you could see where he used what was with him to grab and throw. I think he threw some things. But like I said, um, my brain, I think I was in 50% shutdown for a while, man. I was uh, yeah. very yeah. nearly scared to, to pee my pants. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, you know, I I made 63 combat equipment jumps. I, I haven't seen combat like Gloopy Mendoza, but I'm a pretty tough SOB. And this rattled <laughs> me to where I just didn't even want to go out after dark. And uh, still, you know, unless you're offering me a big prize like $10 million bounty, I'm not going to go look for them at night. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't learned my lesson there yet, but, um, you know, I've had my, <laughs> I've, uh, you know, I don't have the military background. My brothers do. Uh, I've taken them out with me before, and, and they've, I've had, you know, one of, you know, a Marine, my, my brother, he's been shaken up before. We've had he's some, wild, it, it, you know. We've had some intense encounters, uh, but n- not quite the scale of yours, trust me. But uh, even something smaller like that shook me uh, big time. Um, you know, it left me uh, kind of rocked my little world in that uh, there was something bigger and badder, uh, something that I, my gun, you know, what I was carrying didn't feel equivalent to take down something like this. Uh, and, you know, uh, <laughs> it, it, it really, uh, really messes with you, you know. It really, uh, people think they know fear. And they think they can handle the woods, you know. Not, you know, I. But it, when you hit that wall like that, it's it's a big life changer. <laughs> it is, and you know, I, I was going to say that, you know, why would I run into a Bigfoot? And I was thinking that the, the Caribou River was completely swollen with water, and so I was like at the last part of the trail where you would have to portage across the river or swim it. I mean, your four wheeler was not going to get across this, and. I just think that maybe for that one time in my life, I was at the right place at the right time, and something was interested in me, you know. And I often wonder, why was I so scared? Well, you know, a lot of people that know me know I'm I'm very spiritual, and, and with that comes a certain level of discernment. discernment. And I really felt like I've told people that I, that I trust that, I really got a bad vibe from this. It really gave me the impression with its chattering, and it would. Him and the dog would go back and forth with this ult, 
this low guttural, you know, and it was like that shook me up. I was like between that monster behind the tree and, and my dog growling each other back and forth. Those dynamics really set my 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 fear level at a, at a high level, and you know whether it was proper for me to be that uptight about it, I'm not sure, but in my heart of hearts, I knew that I didn't want that thing any closer to me than it was. I, I, 24 right. feet, for me, was 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 my limit. Any closer, and, and it was going to get... I know I could have killed it with the with the firepower I had, but it, it, there's this question. There's I mean, that question. <laughs> you know, and I, I was going to tell you, I've always had these opinions, and I've talked to pastors and preachers, and what is Bigfoot? What is Bigfoot? Well, a lot of religious people would say, you know, the product of fallen angels, but now that I've had time to think about it really deeply, is I just think it's a Bigfoot. I just think they're different. I just think they're a special animal, and I think they could be but completely uh, vicious or, or good. I, I really think they're just like in Doesn't the Bible... Uh, Give us domain over all the animals, though. We yeah, don't really have domain over really. Bigfoot. <laughs> well, you know, if you if you um, believe a, a man like Justin Smeha, he he has asserted domain over that animal. Yeah, um, I don't. But you, yeah, okay. You know, well, what I, I guess what I'm saying is, I have not negated all possibilities, but. I have leaned away from the fallen angel theory, even as a very devout Pentecost Christian, and lean more to it's just a very special adaptation of a couple of different animals. And because when I, when I was dealing with this, my mind was telling me, this is a really nasty animal. Just the way it moved, the way it behaved, behaved like, a, like an animal, didn't behave like a, like a human behaved like an animal, like a bear. I mean, it behaved like like something that wanted to show you uh, I'm, I'm dominant, to really pr- press its dominance physically over me. And, you think and that, that you were in its turf? Or Dude, it's I interesting think that it was so concerned about you. I just think I was in its, its uh, hunting area. I think I was at the water source and the game trail intersection. It obviously knew you had a gun, or even before you shot, it has to assume that, you know, person in the Alaska backcountry is going to have firepower. So, I mean, Everybody that's pretty, uh, yeah. audacious, uh, audacious of it to, you know, well, intimidate you to that level. You, but here's an important point. So audacious to the point that only a human would be that stupid. <laughs> only somebody that was... A grizzly bear does not behave that way. In Alaska, I've had 20 grizzly bear encounters compared to something like this. Grizzlies are prudent. They're intelligent. They are cautious. They are very, very sly. You hardly ever see them, but they're always around. This guy was, like, kicking my front door down, you know. So that (laughs) I, I can only put to other people that know better. Wanted you out of there. Yeah, um, Michael, I have two questions for you. One was, um, uh, did you see any game in that area as far as deer or elk or anything in that area that day? And the second question is, with your dog, uh, how how long have you had your dog, you know, to read his temperament and, uh, you know, 
you know you know what I'm saying? Well, to answer the first question, I'm really yeah. glad that you brought that up because it's it's very important now that I very look back yeah. on it with the experience I had. The, the the big game animals were pressed up on the top of the mountain pass, so the moose who should have been down. Um, bedding and feeding around the meadow and the tundra around the water where I was were actually a thousand feet up the mountain pass on top looking down into the Caribou River drainage. So what that tells me is that everything that, that was where, where I was, where the animals that were supposed to be where I was camped were pressed up high and whatever it was that came to visit me that night was pressed down low. Or maybe I was between it and its game source. You know, that would have made sense to me as a hunter. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, because that's a lot of effort and energy for it to expel, to go at someone that may be able to overpower it with firearms. That's a you risk. Know, I, it's taking a risk, you know, coming at you. That's why, you know, it would be hard to shoot because what sort of creatures take such risks? And in, in, in my experience, only crazy humans, you know, and who wants to shoot? Yeah. Who wants to, who wants to shoot a half-crazy bushman? Or In Alaska, <laughs> there's a lot of weird things that happen, and you can't be real quick to pull the trigger out in the woods unless you really know what you're, you're looking at. I, that would be against Especially my moral in the dark. Yes, sir. I just wouldn't do it. So, you know, you, you give it uh, 15 or 20 different shouts of I'm going to blow your brains out and it doesn't go away. And, I mean, you have to do something. So, right. I don't know. I just, you know, I, I, who knows? I find it interesting with the game, you know, because, I, you know, I've been out in the woods a lot and I'm a hunter. And, uh, you know, I've been in areas where it's been so eerie quiet and then you kind of, you know, Unless you go up high on some of those bridges and see the animal life, the the elk or deer, you know, down low, you're not going to see them. It, it, you know, having said that, you've had some sort of encounter, and and it's kind of like this apex predator, you know, down there, and, and the, it's like the animals just flee up high, you know. <laughs> That's exactly what uh, that that I have seen, yeah. you know, and and it was really weird because I didn't put it together at the time, but. Uh, what you're saying is actually a reality out in the bush. That's exactly what happened. I mean, to to a T. It pressed the big moose up high, and I was in between that and, and the game, and the water, and and that's just a place that uh, any good hunter would want to be. But I wasn't hunting. I think I was kind of in the way. Yeah. And my dog. Here's here. Moose was great. I was with moose probably two years um, before, you know, you can't really run a dog in front of a four-wheeler like I did until their joints are, are firm and, you know, um, their bones develop. And he was already 180, 200 pounds. So, you know, we had been together two or three years, and he would often Jeez. stop me that on a trail most... keeping us. Yeah. Keep the bears away. You know, he'd stop Dad in the middle of the trail and wouldn't let me go. And sure enough, you'd see a grizzly bear on the side of the mountain or something. So I actually had never heard him make the sounds he'd made ever and didn't know a dog could make those sounds. It was um, almost like a demonic possession kind of low growl, <laughs> like uh, a life or death, we're going to get it on, and only one of us is going to make it out of here. <laughs> yeah, wow. <laughs> like that felt, you know? Yeah, really, that's awesome. 
<laughs> I mean, it's scary, but hearing this is awesome because uh, that's kind of what I figured you'd say because, you know, this wasn't a dog you had for six months. This is a no. dog you, you've known for a long time that you've he raised. And, and He was proven, exactly. Yeah. And he came across something that uh, that scared him, and yeah. you felt that. And he never reacted uh, crazy to grizzly bears. With grizzly bears, he he really was more interested in staying away. So he would just herd me off. Now, a timber wolf, we'd had timber wolf run-ins up there, and he didn't pay him no mind. Uh, he just didn't care about the timber wolf either. But this particular night, he, every light and signal went off. And, you know, you, you learn to pay attention. And if you guys know a little bit about me, I'm I'm pretty antisocial. So, you know, he was my, my partner, my best friend, and, he was my my mate, you know. So yeah. out in the bush, anyway. So we just you depend on him, and you depend on your four wheeler, and the rest of it was just adventure. Yeah. Well, he depend on you too, and 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 like you said, that noise that came out of him was something you've never heard before. And you could, you could you know, I have a dog, I have a golden retriever, and I could read you know I could read him like a, a book. Uh, yeah. I, know I know when he's stressed out i know when he's happy when he's mad when he's angry when he's you know sad you know he's a companion of mine you know he's a good friend of mine and uh you know you you know in certain circumstances when something is just not right uh, you know uh, thank god i've never had to have him do what your dog did and hear some primeval uh some crazy you know noise come out of him uh because if i'd heard that you know i would be like oh wow something something's big something's happening <laughs> I was pretty sick about it. And like I said, we we don't uh, I, I don't I don't do that stuff anymore. Um even in Colorado, I was bow hunting with my neighbors and basically half of our street goes up to Steamboat Springs and you know, uh I I tell the guys, you know, who's bringing their GPS and everybody knows that when you hunt with Mike, I want as many people to be on their GPS as possible because if I'm out at night, I'm not going to be happy. I'm going to be grumpy. <laughs> I'm going to want to get home. Um, you know, I'm 48. I've got kids. Uh, and that level of carelessness, which what brought me to exposure, is not something that uh, I'm going to readily seek again, probably. Um, it's just not uh, – that wasn't fun. That wasn't yeah. Not not cool. So if I could hunt and find some tracks while I'm hunting, I don't really want to press into the woods and try to find it. I mean, I've I've walked miles following these things, and it's just like endless. Uh, you, I was telling somebody, uh, you know, they said, well, why don't you track it in the snow because the prints are in the snow and you should be able to run it down. And I'm like, dude, I'm 150, 55 pounds. I cannot walk up the side of a mountain and down it and then up another and then down it and then up another and down it. I just can't do that, you know, and that's what they do. Um, miles and miles of travel, which, uh, you know, I was wondering if you guys see the same thing, but in the Rocky Mountains they seem to walk like the Indians did on the trails, right down the uh, middle elevation of a mountain right across it. Yeah, I've come across that. Um not so much here in Oregon, uh, but um, no, I've come across stuff like that. Um, it's kind of, it's like you said, it, it's kind of like what the Indians did. <laughs> I wonder if like they do that because it, 
if I was like on a recon mission and I'm walking the trail, I would want to pick the middle of the mountain simply because you could either go up or down. And and when I go out into the woods, I'm always thinking, you know, where am I going to find the animals? Where where, where are they going to press into if they're if I'm if they see me? And you just start thinking, you know, how can you get into these spots? And there's um, you know, I was going to tell you guys, I heard you talking um, as the show started, and you were talking about an area that might have been a crime scene. And um, right, right. Here in Poudre Canyon, I was um, well scouting for an elk hunt. And, I crossed the river, the Poudre River, because, I mean, in the wintertime, that's a thrill. You just get knee-deep water and you cross it. and You can go into these little ravines that haven't been really explored since they mined back there. And I wound my way up a gully, and I found a gold mine. And I walk a little bit further, and I found a, 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 a gully that fed into mm, maybe the smaller one I was in. It, it was on top of it gold mine below and then there was a stack of rocks against a tree and then it, under that stack of rocks when I looked closely I found six bull elk piled together and it was like they ran down this ravine and then when they got to the bottom this tree was the, these there was a tree and then some logs stacked up against it and rocks so that when they ran down at speed and they got bottlenecked like they got jacked up at the end there by the rocks and the tree and they were all tangled up together and laying in a heap, and two of them had their their um, coats ripped open and their livers taken out, but the racks were there and the meat was there, and they were frozen because this was like November, and that was really tripped me out because I thought, you know, what in the heck's going on here? You know, that just freaked me out because <laughs> it was like a death scene, you know, a mass murder scene. <laughs> well, Michael, um, I'd like to we'll carry on this. Uh... Um, this crime scene, kind of what you're talking about. We'll get into uh, some of the stuff that happened to you in Colorado. Uh, we're going to take a short break here, and we'll be back in a few. Thank you.
I don't know, honey. Could be a little bit longer, but it doesn't matter. All right, we're back. We're back. Mike Phillips uh, again. Michael Phillips, I yes. And him anymore. I can't anymore. I haven't thought about it in so long. Is he back? <laughs> <laughs> I think he's dealing with the family. <laughs> Michael, are you with us? I am. I'm still here. Oh, good deal. Uh, kind of came down the wee ones. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Uh, that's, uh, that's life, and we appreciate you joining us as always. And uh, Thank um, you. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we kind of left off about the, uh, what you came across as far as the, uh, little area where the elk could come down and were trapped. Do you think, um, do you think something like that described with the rocks and whatnot, that doesn't sound like one individual. It sounds almost like a hunting party or, or something of that nature. It'd be hard for, I would imagine, one Sasquatch doing that by himself if that was the scenario. You know, I, I... I would say, in my experience, that it would be something of an opportunity. They would see something like that as a natural advantage. So the debris field would probably already be there, and it would be a matter of chasing the, the elk down it, you know, because it, it didn't look like some of the stick structures you see. It looked like a, a rock that had fallen from the mine up against a tree. And just simply, if you could get the game funneled down it, it, it was going to wreck. So maybe they worked at a coordination and getting game down there or something. But I, I see here that they would probably be very opportunistic, like Les Stroud, man. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't build a cabin. He just crawls under a log somewhere and digs a hole. So you kind of use what's around Make you. And I thought that, that would be what an Indian would do, man. You know, they, they would scare the elk down this ravine and they would collect as many of them as they could and and, and they would make it uh, an occasion um, so they don't have to hunt all the time because why spend the energy hunting every day if you can hunt once a month so right. it just struck me as really um, you know because I'm such a devout Christian it just almost struck me as evil and nasty the amount of uh, death that was heaped up in this pile and then what really got me is why didn't the guys take the racks? I mean, because if you're going to poach up here in the Rockies, most of these knuckleheads that poach, they're only after horns. So, you know, they, they wouldn't even take the meat, which would be a prize to me. Um, so I with, didn't understand that at all. With these elk, I mean, what was was all their flesh gone? I mean, no, uh, they, it, uh, they hadn't taken a bite out of anything, but there were two of them that right along under the belly where where the the tits would be on on a female where mm-hmm. it looked like they had been pried open and their livers removed but only on two so but these were fresh i mean these were like you're looking around going okay they're frozen so that gives me a 3 day window of you know it taking a full grown elk at 5 600 pounds couple days to freeze up solid right so mm-hmm. i'm actually looking around going what did i walk into because you know, Colorado's weird. You've you got a lot of people. You just can never tell if you're dealing with humans or animals unless you see it. So I'm right. kind of looking around for poachers, but it, it doesn't make sense. So just not correlating it to anything, but just relating to you guys some of the stranger things I've seen poking deep around in, in some yeah. of the places people don't go. 
No, that's truly strange. I mean, and, and again, how many elk would you say were in that little funnel? I counted six, and I think I counted wow. a, 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 um, a doe or a, um, a cow, excuse me, and, and yeah. five bulls. And they were all elk. They, it was like an elk herd, small elk herd. They weren't oh, the yeah. big bulls. They were satellites, but they met their demise altogether. I mean, oh, a couple of them had broken legs. You know, so you just knew they had a rough go of it coming down there. And and uh, do you, were they piled up naturally, like, or were they, you know, stacked uh, stacked up? Wow. In your opinion, I mean, maybe you couldn't tell, but were they stacked? Well, did they look like they were stacked up uh, unnaturally? Man, <laughs> you know, because I'm. That's yeah. questionable. That's questionable uh-huh. because, I mean, they were all piled together. There was a couple of them you couldn't get to, I mean, because they were buried underneath the big guys on top. So I'm going to say a pile. That's crazy. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've never come across anything like that. Uh, yeah, that you know, weird. I've come across some strange kills and whatnot, but to find uh, a stack of elk. Hey, and as God is my witness, you know, I told my wife before coming on the air, I get excited about this stuff when I talk about it, but I said, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, there, there's no lying about this. If I can just stick to the stuff that I've seen, if mm-hmm. I can just say those things, and, you know, so these are things that um, in my heart of hearts and mind of minds that I've seen, I know, and there's no embellishment to it. Um, I don't seek the attention, so embellishment is not needed. So I know you don't. That's why I want you on, on the show. That, that's yeah. pretty weird stuff, right? I mean, that's weird. Very weird, especially with the, uh, like you said, now, well, like with the liver missing and legs broken, the liver missing, I mean, what did that look like? I mean, was it ripped open, incision? I mean. Oh, just, you know, the, Shane, and if you kill an animal fresh, if you have sharp nails, you could peel them apart. I mean, it just right. looked like something reached in there and peeled it apart. It looked grabbed and ripped, grabbed yeah. and ripped, you know. <laughs> so it didn't have teeth marks on it. Um, it had, it didn't have incision marks. It wasn't clean. It was like if you had sharp nails and pounded your hand into it and ripped it open. I mean, quite honestly. That's yeah. when you start looking around, too, because you're like, what's going on? Um it was just one of the stranger things that I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is strange regardless. Uh, coming across something of that nature, uh, you know, it just uh, blows my mind, you know. If I came across something like that, you know, I'd be kind of blown away, and I'd be looking around, like you said, poachers and all this other stuff. You know, what did I walk into? Exactly. <laughs> That's freaky. Yeah. Um how far away is this from the the Mineral Springs Gulch area? Well, you know, let's see. Wow, it's all in a line because it's all really in the same. It's all in the same Poudre Valley drainage. Yeah. Um, so Black Hollow. It's so strange too because that's actually the name of the place is Black Hollow. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> That was, you know, it's a really neat place, but it's only maybe 16, 20 miles from that area. Wow. It's so my hunting grounds. It's where, yeah. I, it's where I go hunt my deer. I'm passionate about mule deer. And, you know, I love 
eating mule deer. So those are my hunting areas. It's where I go every year. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of the backtrack real quick. So somebody had a question uh, about uh, the uh, liver. So you actually looked and to see that the liver was missing. I mean, how did you know the liver was missing? Well, because, man, I'm scouting for elk hunting places. Yeah. And when you see an elk laying there and it's racking a whole body of meat there, a guy starts to thinking, can I just take this with me? And then I start right. looking at the body. I pull a leg over, and it was maybe um, an 8-inch long incision right along, like I said, where maybe the first two to three, go two, three, four of the teats would be on a on an elk and right inside the back leg, and it was just a rip. And you yeah. can see the cavity where the liver is. And if you're a hunter, one thing you know is that the liver takes up the majority of that abdominal cavity. That Oh, piece. most of it. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, that was gone, and you could look inside there and see it, although it was frozen, is it was gone. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, why yeah. anybody would do that or why a Bigfoot would do that, why... A, why a mount, mountain lion would do that, I don't know. I, I really don't, but that's what, well, what I saw. Yeah, neither would I. You know, hmm. uh, doesn't make any sense, you know. And, and um, there, you obviously didn't see any bullet holes or uh, any, uh, you know, basically you didn't see. Yeah, you know, I, I didn't see bullet holes, but I saw broken legs. Um, and I don't know whether that was from them crashing down, but a couple of them had their antlers um, kind of combined together. Like they had all crashed together down at the bottom, but it looked to me like it was a, a long-term trauma. It looked like maybe one of them had run on broken legs. Um, so uh, I don't know. You know, that's just one I can't tell you, man. I really yeah, don't yeah, know. yeah, but <laughs> I really I mean, don't. That it's still. I mean, like I said, that's it's crazy to come. I couldn't imagine personally coming across something like that. That you know. You know, I couldn't imagine coming across three, let alone six to whatever elk piled up like that, you know, in that nature. It's just mind-boggling to me, um, unless they had fallen off a huge cliff and uh, were, you know, scared off by a cougar or something of that nature. But I couldn't come, I couldn't imagine coming across something like that. It's very strange. But, very strange. you know, you go out in Colorado and there's just a lot of places that we, we've kind of come to a uh, a pickup truck hunting society where if you can't get there by four wheel up truck or you have the the resources for a horse a lot of people don't go and my thing has been and always will be pressing into those pockets where people don't go because when i go hunting or camping it ruins it for me if I see somebody else. I, I can't deal with their noise. I can't deal with the trash. <laughs> I can't deal with the presence of other human yeah. beings because, to me, it's, I'm up there for a purpose, to be close with God and to hunt. And yeah. So, you know, that's always been an advantage, and you get to see some really crazy stuff. But if you go walking in the woods between the hours of 2 and 4 in the morning, you're going to have some stuff happen, you know. Yeah. And, uh, so at the Mineral Springs, that's exactly what happened. I arrived up there about 3 in the morning. I'm going to scout this. Uh, it's an actual Mineral Springs. So I was there this spring with a buddy looking for tracks, and we counted, you know, thousands of deer tracks in the Mineral Spring. And uh, this farmer, I guess they lease it out for cattle in the summer, but there's a stock tank, and it fills in the spring. But it was 
down there, and I get there at 3, and I've got my little, I don't know, I've got this little flashlight that shines about 15 feet, and that's it, because I'm really too dumb to think about being scared when I used to go out. But when I got out of the truck and I started walking towards the spring, I'd made about 75 yards out of 300 when it sounded like uh, a five-gallon gas can just being smacked up against that that cattle trough, and I just froze in my tracks, and I was like, what the heck is that? And I thought, man, I have bumped into some old boy that's spending the night out here hunting, and he's going to shoot me, you know? <laughs> so I shined my light down there, and bang! And I, it's just, I mean, the hair's on the back of my neck, and... I'm thinking, uh, turn around and run, and I'm look, shining my flashlight down there, and just bang, and it reverberates through this little valley, just blah, 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 blah. so, man, I run all the way back up the hill, jump in my truck, and take off, and I just, I went about um, a half mile away and spent the night in my truck. <laughs> I didn't spend the night outside, but, um, you know, and that's in the same yeah. corridor. It's in the same Poudre Valley drainage with all those side ravines that just are populated with all sorts of game. And I don't know if that was Bigfoot related. You know, I wouldn't speak on that, but that just goes to uh, one of those things that has happened walking around at night up here. And uh, it was really scary. Well, yeah. What I mean, bang on something like that, I, I, I really don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it could be Bigfoot related, could not be, but I mean, you know, you have been in the woods a good majority of your life, and you're a hunter, and you've probably heard just about everything and seen about everything, and yeah, I mean, you got to give kudos to someone of your nature that, as far as coming across something like that and recognizing that, you know, obviously this isn't normal, what is it, you know, and then you, you go from there, you know, you kind of start to rule out certain things. Well, you know, it, it, one reason that I don't participate actively anymore is is I honestly feel that uh, the expertise lies in people that are really much smarter than me. And, you know, what what I might have a position in the Bigfoot world is, is simply showing what I find. But the interpretation of what I find, I usually always defer to people that know better. And, and probably one of the reasons I lost interest in the Bigfoot world is no matter what I threw out there, um, short of a body, that it, it just never got any traction. So why worry about it? I really enjoy what I do. I, I enjoy being outside. If I find a track, man, I love taking a picture of it. Hey, am I going to haul 10 pounds of plaster of Paris with me every time I go bow hunting in the mountains? Right, yeah. Man, because you know what? It, I'm not that guy. But yeah. if I do find something and I do have a camera, I'll take a picture for you. But other than that, um, there's people that make a living doing that, and they do it better than me. So I'm really blessed that I, I even had these experiences when I was a younger man. I'm very blessed. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I mean, I, when, you know, you still go out hunting and doing, you know, that sort of scenario. I mean, have you come across anything lately that you haven't shared with the uh, general public? I mean, like you said, you kind of dropped off, and I under, I totally understand why. I, I get it. I do. And um, it's kind of sad because, um, you know, I've followed you for a long time, and I consider you a very honest honest man and, um, you know, Thank somebody you. that I've followed for. You know, it's not somebody I just 
popped on this podcast or blog talk show today and are you know listening for the first time, I've followed you for a long time. I've never found any inconsistencies with uh, anything you've ever said, and uh, you never seek fame or fortune or anything like that, you know. And uh, I'm sure you probably could have got your 50 minutes of fame on a show or whatnot. But uh, is there anything you've come across recently that you haven't shared or? Well, there was, you know, this is not Bigfoot related, but we were up at my dad. He lives up in Glen Haven in the Estes Park area, and I'm always looking for prints up there. And uh, uh, I was walking a trail up by his house, and and, and there's been reports of uh, Sasquatch in the Estes Park area for years, 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 years. I mean, going back to the 50s. And... uh, um, I'm walking a trail, and I found two sticks placed in a perfect X up on the uh, Indian trail above their houses. And, you know, he's 73, so he's not walking it. And I thought, man, that's really cool. And then um, this spring, his Malamute, his name was Ram, and he was 140 pounds. And he was down at the stream bed, and he got attacked and killed by a mountain lion and, and it took less than five minutes because my dad let him out, and three minutes later he went down to the stream, and the dog was laying in the middle of the water with his neck broke and uh, puncture wounds on it. And so I guess what I'm conferring is is that the mountains up here are every bit as wild as they have been. And, you know, you can go out and look for excitement and find it. But the best Bigfoot evidence I found in the last couple of years was up above uh, my sister's old ranch in Estes Park. And uh, I don't know, Shane, if you ever saw that picture of it, but it's on a bed of granite (laughs) and and pine needles, and it was just the most clearest, deepest print. And I thought, man, whatever is up there walking is so dense and muscular and heavy. And it was just booking so fast across the side of that mountain that I was like, you know what, that's the thrill of a life. It took me all summer to find one print, but when I found it, it's a Rocky Mountain National Park has been kind of a hot area for us here in Colorado the last couple of years, and I did pull one good picture off. I didn't plaster it. I'm up there cutting trees with a chainsaw. I'm not Tim Fasano, okay? I, I was working, so, you know, um, but the picture speaks for itself. And, you know, that's why I really wouldn't even call me a researcher. That's, that's, that's very honoring, but um, I'm more of an enthusiast and have been, yeah. so. Well, you know, nice. you're every bit as a researcher as uh, most of them out there. I mean, it, especially maybe you don't go out look for Bigfoot every time, but with your background and yeah. uh, you know your researcher like said, average, by default. <laughs> by default, yeah, good. <laughs> by default, you know, uh, I saw that track and I was, you know, I was very impressed with it. Um, you know, uh, that's. Uh, you, I think you've since closed that that particular group, the Colorado group, down. But I saw that's where I saw it, and I was, I was impressed, um, looking at it. You know, I've come across some really amazing tracks myself. I've seen some amazing tracks, yeah. and that was, you know, that's in my top ten that I've actually seen. You know, not in person, but seen online. Um, you know, it looked, it it was pretty impressive. Yeah, I appreciate that because. Uh, those are hard fought, aren't they, fellas? I mean, uh, uh, I, I walked myself dopey sick. <laughs> to find yeah, that they're gold, man. They're gold because they're just that rare. You know, they are rare to find tracks, especially like what you had found. You know, um, 
oh shoot i mean if i found something like that you know i, I might as well have struck gold uh you know and it's it's so rare but when you find them it's just you know your blood starts pumping and you just you just you're so excited and you know oh, that yeah yeah it's kind yeah, of like you hunting. Sleep with the windows open, you know, and <laughs> you, you you try to listen for all the sounds, and you know, I I really miss out on on hearing the vocals because I I really haven't heard much of vocals except one time in Steamboat Springs, and really late at night, I had left the deer out and the um, coyotes, not not the deer, but after I dressed it out, right, fellas, you leave yeah. the spine and the junk out there, and you hear the coyotes come really early in the morning and it's just entertaining because i have this old bucket of a fifth wheel trailer and <laughs> you can hear everything right through the walls but if you roll the windows down it gets really noisy you know so they're yep 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 and fighting and you can hear them eating on this uh deer carcass behind my camp <laughs> then you hear there's some sort of like um wailing moaning cry and just just silence man it was so cool because the coyotes were like they just went completely silent. And then I'm like, dang, I'm tired. You know, you got to get up. You got to get up. And I was like, I can't get up because I'd hunted all day. So well, I'm laying there and it just. Yeah, even dressing. Up. I was going to say, even field dressing. Uh, between hunting and field dressing and all that, it takes. A, it, man, it kills you. <laughs> You're dead. <It> does. <laughs> I was so exhausted. You, you know, a funny story. I was so tired that uh, I had peed in an old uh, teacup or. A Arizona tea bottle and throwing it out at camp and coming back from my walk I was so exhausted and delirious from tracking and hunting and looking around that I took like three swallows of it before I realized it was pee and didn't even care I mean that's how tired I was that day. you know it's like I was zonked but I was like thank you Lord the only time I hear a vocal I can't even peel my butt off the rack <laughs> uh, um, Michael, how, how many well, uh, you, being associated with? I mean, I don't know. A lot of people in, in Colorado know you as a, being one associated with Bigfoot. Do you get uh, any encounters that you or reports that are reported to you from other people in that area? Yeah, I do. I, I get a lot, and um, what I find is that um, you know I'm not equipped to deal with them in any way. I, I I'm not good with handling people and and. Uh, so, you know, there's not much I can do with them. But in the community in Estes Park, I was running into all sorts of old wranglers. You know, there's wranglers that run the, the dude ranches up there, and you'd hear stories about, you know, I never told anybody, but my horse got spooked, and there's this dang bear that stood up on its legs and looked at me, you know. And I'm like, you know, you might have seen a bomb. But yeah. you, it's it's not – I'm going to tell you – Quite honestly, in my opinion, the more you hear about something, it doesn't mean it's true. It's sometimes these old cowboys, sometimes these old retired people, sometimes these fringe people that live on the edge of society, they're the ones to talk to about what's going on around us, you know. It's not always the big-name people that get attention that actually know how the woods work. So you always want to talk to the people that are out in the woods to know what's going on in the woods. and. I have a suggestion. Anybody in Colorado, you want to know where the animals or the Sasquatch are? Ask the vaqueros running the cattle and the sheep. They'll tell you where the animals are because they're out there on horseback all spring and summer long. So, you know, there's little little ways that you can access information, but not all of it. I don't believe too much of what I hear on the media 
I'd rather look a man in the eye and talk to him for an hour who lives there, and that's how I find good places to go. Yeah, and I often, often, you know, some of my research, you know, is online, and I look towards a lot of the hunting forums and some of the uh, areas, you know, like hunting forums or hiking forums that aren't associated with Bigfoot at all or, you know, what have you, and I find some great encounters and stories in there. That, yeah. uh, you know, and we had a, a girl, Robin, on last week. You know, she's not a Bigfooter. She's a hunter. She's lived in uh, Tillamook County out here in Oregon, close to me, awesome. all her life. And uh, she has a network of people that have had encounters out here. Um, and some of her encounters as, you know, in the 1970s, you know, are pretty fascinating. You know, and like I said, she's a hunter, um you know, she doesn't hunt just for fun, but she hunts but meat on the table and stuff. But some of the counters that she's had, some of the people that she's met, you know, are the ones I want to talk to, not the big names per se. You know, I love talking to, you know, some of the bigger names and whatnot because uh, they're doing this full time. But just the people that actually live in the woods or, or, or hunters and whatnot that can share experiences over, you know, generations, not just their experiences, but their their fathers, grandfathers, and whatnot. Yeah. I get some of the best information from from them. Um, really, really sound and really uh, honest people that have never shared anything before. But you get to talking to them, and they're like, "Well, you know, this is something I've come across, and uh, in all my years, I've never, uh, you know, shared and never encountered before. But this is what happened. Uh, those to me are meaningful and very, um, you know." They really have no reason to share with me. You know, they, they're not getting anything out of it. Well, that that's the whole point is, uh, you know, for me, it's not a matter of trying to find a Bigfoot. I, I'm, I'm asking the Vicero where the animals are. Hey, which uh, arroyo have they pressed into? Which ravine? Um, where's the movement? And, you know, th- these are relationships that I've developed, and they'll say, you know, you go over there and you're going to find what you want. And it's always been in that pursuit that anything has ever happened. You know, I, I, I've always known about Bigfoot growing up in the mountains of Colorado. I was I was raised on Lookout Mountain, Colorado. Um, spent the night outside since I was seven years old. I, I I never did want to be inside. My mom and dad argued a lot. They fought a lot. I'd be out in the backyard doing my thing and. So, you know, for me to be out and to talk to people who know where things are going on, where I don't have to deal with uh, 15 people in a, in a camper shooting guns, you know, that, that's, where, that's where I seek. And in seeking that, you, you, you really have some great experiences, whether they're Bigfoot-related or not. But uh, bears and, and coyotes, I mean, I've seen so many wonderful animals. I, I just wanted to live a full life and to have seen God's amazing creatures, and, and so I pursued that diligently for years and years, and it's blessed me, um, but, you know, now I'm kind of in a different part of my life. I I honestly think that with diligence, and if I spent a week up in an area, I could probably find some evidence, but, you know, having that week and raising a family and working a job and I serve at church. Uh, you know, there, it's a balance, and I just had these experiences when the balance was on me being able to be outside a lot. So, right. you know, we're, we're lucky if we can get out there and, and camp a couple times a year. So sometimes we're not always looking for squatch, but we're fishing and riding motorcycles yeah. Yeah. and stuff like that. 
Absolutely. Right. You know, uh, well, let's I'm, take I'm this blessed. caller we got on hold here. Oh, we got here. a caller. Okay. All right. 713, Hello. how you doing? Hey, this is Lupe. Hey, Lupe. Hey. How you hey. doing, man? Lupe Mendoza. <laughs> All right, man. I just I wanted to uh, ask my brother uh, Michael Phillips a question, man. You you can ask anything, bro. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, since uh, you're here, you know, we're both ex-paratroopers. I always wanted to ask you something. I asked these guys last time this uh, about military tactics. You know, a lot of our military tactics come from Native American tactics. And yeah. uh, um, they get, you know, Native Americans and uh, been here for thousands of years, so have Sasquatch. So, you know, and I always ask this, you know, the Sasquatch learn these tactics from Native Americans or vice versa, you know, and uh, how uh, how they how they could lose it. You know, we could lose their tracks very easy. Yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. you know, you talk about the ambushes, you know, like like you were talking about that uh, uh the elk being uh being led out to that choke point. You know, we we yeah. we learned a lot of our ambushes. You know, from linear ambushes, L shaped ambushes, oh, etc. Yeah. You I know. see what you're talking about, Loopy. It's uh, you know, I guess you know what we were probably taught as paratroopers is just like any game animal is uh, the more killing you can do with the least amount of energy, and and the least amount of exposure is is what you do, right? And you know, um, that's how I think of it. Um, and as far as military tactics go, I know that reading a topo map has got me into areas that you know, you can kind of find the ingredients for an active area. But, yeah, I, man, these things, uh, Loopy, as far as I'm concerned, they're like the wind. You know, there's no way I would have the physical strength or stamina to follow it any length of time quickly. Um, it's like chasing an elk. Uh, men don't chase elk. Men can't follow elk. You either shoot it and kill it and deal with it or you let it go. Um, same with the squatch. You, you're not going to follow it, man. You know, there's exactly. no way. Yeah, it's, it's just something I wanted to say. I've been trying to tell somebody about this for so long, you know, but, you know, like a lot of people that you talk to don't have the military experience that we have, you know. And uh, But it's good to hear from you, Michael, and you take care, brother. God bless you. Peace, peace, bro, and God bless you. You got it. Cool. You know, I'm glad Lupe called in. Um, that's a great question. You know, uh, you know, I believe Sasquatch exists, um, and it is something that is, uh, you know, it's it it lives in the woods. It has attributes and the nature to live there that we can't fathom. I mean, uh, to hunt and live there and not be detected uh, with you know minimal uh, things being found is just amazing to me. And like you know. You take advantage like the elk kill you mentioned, you know, whether it was Sasquatch related or not, you know, it's, it's questionable, but it's very, very interesting. Uh, yeah. You don't waste a whole lot of energy, you know, and you guys, you and Lupe come from a background of military experience, um, and Lupe, you know, he's got, uh, you know, tribal uh, contacts and, you know, involved and whatnot. Uh, it's, it's, to me, it's amazing that uh, a lot of stuff is not considered you know, when it comes to Sasquatching, you know, a lot of people take a lot of face value that, well, well, I mean, you know, how could these things survive out there and this and that? How could, uh, you know, how do they survive? How do they track? How oh. can they get over areas? Man, you know? 
You know, yeah. and, and I've said to people, hey, I've been bow hunting and been in camouflage, stood up against a tree and watched four bozos from Louisiana walk right by me and not even see me. You know, so I don't want to hear about they can't hide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a big forest out there, you know. And, Huge. Uh, you know, I think it's just a blessing to, to come across them. I, I think it's a gift from, a gift that, that we even are talking about it. And, you know, yeah. Loopy's somebody I really respect, and, and he has a very focused military point of view. I think me, that I kind of took what I learned in the Army and, and growing up in the mountains of Colorado, but the big point for me is is I go out into the woods with a still and quiet mind. I don't care who you are. If you're not ready to see and look with your eyes and listen with your ears, and, you know, Loopy, Loopy is a... Um, has uh, Native American associations, and yeah. I consider yeah. myself a white Indian in the fact that I get myself covered with the earth around me. I blend into my environment. I smell like it. I look like it, and I stalk relentlessly and walk and walk and walk and walk. And so, you know, that that's something that maybe people need to do if they really want to go out there and, and have an experience. But you can have an encounter and bump into something, or you can have a little bit of fun with your life and get dirty and go out and play in the woods. And, and that's just something that few people really like to do. And well, I, 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 I think Michael Merchant does that. He gets uh, down and dirty. <laughs> he, he's perfect at it, you know. But along yeah. comes with that is you can dress up in a ghillie suit and walk to barefoot with a mohawk and never see a thing. But you really need to work on having a still and quiet presence so that when you do see or hear something that you really alert to pay attention to it. And then maybe you don't really have an encounter that day. Maybe you keep going back to that area and you keep walking it and you keep presenting yourself as familiar to it. And, you know, I guess what I'm saying is the places that I've had experiences, I was either a return customer. I'd spent a couple uh, nights up in that camp area in Alaska before anything happened to me and you just find places that are active but Michael Merchant is wonderful at that you know I don't know anybody that has more raw skills than Michael Merchant what I have is an ability to find animals and I found that to be more valuable than anything that's key you know um, one of the things that uh um, I've taken upon myself is, you know, when I go out to the woods, you know, and I'm a hunter and, you know, a squatcher and whatever you call me, doesn't matter. I love to camp and hike and fish. And, uh, you know, Larry Turner, who's in the chat room, you know, he, he, he stresses this, uh, that, uh, you know, and it's something I, I've taken upon myself now, you know, I've done it before, but never really considered really doing it. It's, you know, you, you go out to the woods, but you, you spend that certain amount of time just kind of acclimating to the area and the sounds. You just kind of just sit there and listen. You know, it's kind of like in your night vision. You know, you sit yeah, there and let your eyes kind of uh, get that night vision without any light around fire. You know, um, you, know you just hey, kind you of acclimate. Even, you can't yeah. even smell anything if you come from the city. I was telling Michael Merchant this. Absolutely. You know, we've had some pretty deep conversations um, is that, you know, my sense of smell doesn't even work until I've been out in the field for five or six days. And then your sinuses flush and you're like, wow, fresh pine, you know, and you're like, wow. And then, yeah. you know, it, it's just a matter of um, sometimes 
what do you, how do they say it? A watched pot never boils. Well, <laughs> you know, if you go out intent on exploring and having a good time and putting together the ingredients that make for a sighting, you know, in itself that's entertaining and fun. But, you know, if you're expecting, if if you're putting pressure on yourself, you second-guess yourself, you try too hard. You know, don't try too hard. Go out in the woods and have fun. Make some noise. Yeah. You know, cook some pancakes. You can't expect Shoot. to see a Bigfoot I, every time you go out in the woods. No, in Alaska, I was shooting my gun. I mean, I was making noise, and look, at, I had a, a crazy, a crazy encounter. So, you know, I'm just saying that, it happens. It's like gold. The gold is where you find it. Bigfoot's where you find them. I don't think right. there's any strategy or tactic or baiting method. Please, you know, the, the Indians that you find in Peru, Amazon forest, they, they don't run up to the camera because you throw a peanut butter sandwich at them. No, they <laughs> stick you in the guts with a spear. You know, it's like, come on. You, you have to have yeah. perspective. Yeah. And I just want to work on having perspective. Oh, well, yes. Yeah perspective is where it's all at you know um you know it's like i do a lot of steelhead fishing and um you know steelhead don't run they're not all throughout the river you know uh you got to find that 10 percent in the river when they come up and they're hanging out it's you know it's a it's hard to you know i'm a bank angler by nature and i don't like to fish on a boat so i like to uh, put on my waders and go out in the river and fish for steelhead but you got to find where they're at once you find where they're at, you kind of get, you know, you, you start hooking up and you start uh, realizing, okay, why are they here uh, and whatnot. You know, it's you, you got to build up to, yeah. you know, it's it's not just going out in the woods and like, okay, Bigfoot's here. You know, um, from your experience, you know, as a hunter like myself and whatnot, you gain certain um, attributes to the field that you can, you can kind of, uh, well, I mean, and even it just as a your normal person going out of the woods, look where, look at the, uh, you know what what's out there. Is there water? Is there food? What not? You know, and then go from there. And if you can go from there, you know, possibly you can have an encounter. You know, po- probably not. But look at uh, what's around you. You know, uh, like I said, I referred back to my stool heading. You know, they're they're not everywhere in the river, but if you can find that ten percent. And look at why they're there, and uh, you know what not. Maybe maybe you'll have an encounter. Maybe you can find some evidence. You know, who it's knows? It's like a compo- uh, how do you say it? Compilation, and and like if you um, you seek something diligently over a sustained period, mm-hmm. and you're cognizant enough to stack on the clues that you ascertain while you're out in the field. And, and you keep record of them, and you go, hey, man, I was walking through the woods silently, and I heard some chattering up on the hill. Maybe I'll come back and check this place out. Uh, that's a really good way to, to do things, you know, because maybe the chattering was somebody in a cabin three miles away that caught a breeze, or maybe it was animals up on the hill. And I found some really good prints by just going back to places where maybe something wasn't right. Maybe there was uh, an an occurrence that made me to think this might be worth going back. And, and that compilation of experiences is what got me somewhere because, you know, it takes a long time to develop skills to, to do anything well. And for me, the key to it was listening to my environment. And after I learned how to do that, 
You know, I don't have success all the time. There's sometimes I just I just work for nothing and I get frustrated. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. a big reason I took my page down is if I don't have something fresh to throw at the people who are interested, then I I, I can't I can't be the guy resting on laurels from five years ago. That that's not who I want to be. But the next step for me is I don't know. I mean, what else do you do from here? It's I I I know they're out there. I can watch shows where my friends are out there doing great things, and really we're not learning a lot. So, you know, where's the next step in Bigfooting? Me personally, I'm waiting for the next revelation because I don't want to be the guy to make it, but I sure am excited for those who do, and I'm I'm still waiting. Yeah, I think uh, well, that's a great way to put it. You know, Michael. I I mean, I I honor that. That's a you know. We're all waiting, you know, whether uh, you or I are the 1%, the evidence that will suppease or suppease ourselves, let alone the general public. Um, there's a lot of questions out there, and we don't we don't have the answers, you know, but we, you know, I don't know, I can't speak for you, but I long for the day that I can, me personally, provide evidence that it does exist, to which I know it does. You know, it... it but that doesn't say much, you know. It's just it's uh, somebody's word, it's somebody's hearsay, a little bit of evidence that you know most people don't accept. Um, well, part you know, of my part of my rub is is I I don't see that I don't see that we should even be at the point we're at. We we should be in a concerted effort to find to find a clear proof. But you know I, I think what we're doing is we're doing it through the media and we're not doing it through. A scientific uh, practicum, you know. Um, I, I'm kind of like with Loopy, and I've said it before. The only way you're going to catch a Bigfoot is with a couple of helicopters, SEAL Team Three, uh, Army Ranger Team Three, Delta Force Five, and and you're going to have to surround a mountain and drop a net on it. Other than that, you're not going to catch one, you know. So, to me, it's like, um, you know, I think I've seen enough personally to relax and. I'm not running it through my mind anymore. Michael, what did you see? Are you crazy? Are you crazy? Yeah, I'm kind yeah. Of like, hey, whatever happened, happened, and I'm <laughs> over it. But I'm kind of really excited. You know, the whole Justin Smeha thing really got me pumped because you're like, okay, I would really like to see a sample. And then, you know, the whole Melba catching thing contaminated all that. And I just I just was like, I'm through. I, I yeah. I'm through. I, I I can't trust anybody. I, I don't know what is real, what is not real. As a good Christian and and an adherent to the laws of my father, I was like, it's better for me to say nothing and listen for a while. I'm kinda I'm kinda waiting for the next big thing, but me personally I don't know that seeking any more evidence is good for me. I I've had enough. Yeah. Well, you've been at it a long time, you know. I can't say I've been at it as long as you. I can't. Um, I'm still in the the spirit of, I, well, I don't. I, I hardly ever share anything that I find on online anywhere. I just don't. Uh, it's just you know, it can't prove Bigfoot. What you're going to get is skeptics uh, looking over it, and you're going to get you know believers going all day. So though, because there's so many hoaxes. And things that the community is, is bitter in part because they're constantly being barraged with just yeah. crap. So and that's why you, you know, know it just disgusts me that 
the people who throw the most crap are like uh, the monkeys that get the most attention in the zoo. And then you have uh, guys that are, are, are quite literally field experience, tactical. And I'm not talking about me, guys. I mean, y- you all rate so much higher. There's a whole field of people that are just badasses in Bigfoot research and and you know it's always it's like the government you got the wrong people running the country we got the wrong people running cryptozoology in my opinion uh the media runs cryptozoology i'd like to see it run by science i'd like to see it run by some sort of systematic research organization that was impartial um you know but i don't think that's going to happen I, I think it's too much of a entertainment circus thing it's it's a, a source of mm-hmm. humor and judgment, and I can't be in a place of judgment. I can't. I can only share what, what I want to share. It's not getting the funding because uh, our society doesn't take it serious. So, you know, we have to work regular jobs, and this is kind of just more of a hobby for an enthusiast or a researcher than anything. Very few people could do this full time. I mean, there's no government grants or you know, anything that can really get a legitimate team or group of people out there, I think, to get the tangible evidence that we would need to get science involved. Yeah, it's 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 kind of like the, uh, you know, it'll be a chance occurrence. It'll, it'll be a, a flash of lightning that in the future something will happen. And, uh, you know, the only thing... I question is 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 it going to happen when I'm still alive because I don't have the energy to chase things around the mountains anymore. <laughs> but you know that's why I you know you guys are doing great things and and I'm so honored to be on your show. But you you're the future and you're what you're what gets the work done now and so that you would even be interested in speaking with me is an honor. Well, Michael, like I got to say I've followed you for a long time and I've gotten to know you. You know, I don't. I've never met you in person and whatnot, but I've followed you for a long time, and I do my research on uh, not just Bigfoot, but people in the field, that, uh, hunters, whether they're researchers on Bigfoot or not. I follow people. I listen to them countless, you know, countless times. Uh, you know, I, I look for, I look to catch them in a line a lot of times. And uh, Michael, you're one that I've never caught in a lie that you've been honest and. You know, you've never you never sought fame, fortune. Um, you've shared your experiences, your your uh, work in the field, um, whether you know it produced a whole lot or not. You know, sometimes you know I was blown away, and sometimes you know uh, uh, it was you know hearsay. You know, just kind of what you had found. But you know, it's been it's been a blessing to me to follow you, and I ju- I just hope that uh, that perhaps you know in your hunting and uh, outdoorsmanship out in the field that uh, you find anything that you share some stuff uh, um, where it leads who knows but I think it's all about data you know you collect all this stuff and one day one day uh, Sasquatch will be proven to exist I have no doubt about that hopefully before they become extinct (laughs) well yeah you know hopefully and and uh, that we can compile this data you know and uh Look back upon people like yourself that have had experiences and stuff, and and it'll be a big light, and uh, that most people, you know, hopefully will look back on, back upon and be like, wow, this guy had this to share, and he had this experience, and he can really, um, you know, 
be brought out into the forefront. I mean, whether you want or not, but you know that stuff like this nature, you know, this nature can be just uh, uh, a little bit of evidence, you know, towards the, you know, finding Bigfoot, you know. Well, I, I have to, I thank you so much, and I have to admit it, it got me a little excited. I I've not thought about these encounters in quite a while. I I put it on the back burner because you yeah. Know, you just don't go sit down in the middle of sanctuary and start telling people about the 12-foot hairy beast you shot at in Alaska. You know, <laughs> you just don't right. do that. So I appreciate the time. And, and guys, like I said, uh, you know, the, the accolades are unearned and undeserved. And I appreciate it. And, and I just, God bless you. My wife's calling me for dinner. But, you know, that's yeah. the kind of life I live now. i, I got to go to supper. I can't go play in the mountains. So... <laughs> I appreciate your time. Right and is there any last questions I could answer before I have to go? You know, none more than I just said I'm honored to have you on the show. I've been wanting to have you on the show for a long time, and I wanted you to kind of, you. you know, repeat your encounters that you shared before. Um, you've been silent for a long time, and uh, I just wanted other people that, you know, maybe new to the field or new to listening in about Bigfoot to uh, hear your encounter and what I consider your honesty and, uh, you know, your experience, and uh, maybe get a little spark in there, you know, a little kick in the butt to realize that there's more out there than just what you see online or on TV because uh, there's a lot of encounters out there um, that aren't shared. And, uh, you know, I think it's important, in my personal opinion, to um, hear these stories, whether it's once or twice, or encounters once or twice to, uh, um, you know, let people out there know that, you know, the existence of Sasquatch is is real in my opinion, you know, and that, you know, we can learn a lot from people that are uh, out there in the, the boondocks hunting and uh, whatnot and that are actually researching. Um, and, uh, you know, there's something to learn here, you know. Learn is to be careful. Stay under the Lord. Any place un- that's not under the Lord is a dangerous place to be. And mm-hmm. and uh, watch yourself in the woods. You know, keep the sticks out of your eyes and the thorns out of your feet, brothers. And I just <laughs> want to say thank you very much. And and I, I I hope blessings upon you and what you're doing. And and I pray for the success of your show. And uh, you might hear from me from time to time, Shane. I you know what I'd really really appreciate that. Even if it's just here and there. Uh, I really appreciate, uh, you know, you thinking of us and uh, maybe giving you your two cents here and there. I'd really appreciate that. I think I'll be a Monster X listener from this day forward, brother. And I don't listen or watch any Bigfoot shows, so I'm going to, me and my son will sit down and go through your archives, and, and I'm sure we're going to enjoy it. I hope I hope so, and I think you will. Um, thank you, Michael Phillips, for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure. Uh, God bless you, and, uh, you know, um, safe travels, and uh, hope to hear from you soon. Peace out from Colorado, fellas. Yeah, thanks for sharing. See ya.
<laughs> okay. Well, that was pretty cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was him. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, in the chat room. A good turnout. Great turnout. And, yeah, I really uh, had a lot to say. And that, that's an outdoorsman there. That's one he really guy is. that's been in the woods more than me. Oh, he, and a, more than me. I mean, he's a hunter, uh, a far better hunter than, I. you know, I hope to be as good as him. You know, I've met a lot, but, man, is he he's just, uh, you know, people can call foul play and all that, you know, call him a liar and whatnot, but I've come to know him over the years, and uh, <clears throat> I've never found him to be a liar or anything of that nature. And uh, he is just, you know, honest guy. He doesn't seek attention or anything, you know. And uh, you know, I, I was when I when I reached out to him to join us, you know, I think he was hesitant, but uh, he joined us. And you know, take it for what it's worth. Believe him or don't. I really don't care. Uh, but uh, I hope that. Uh, well, yeah, he, took something he had out an experience. I mean, yeah, we weren't there, and no one was there. He just shared what his story and how it all went down, and. Uh, that's a guy who spends a lot of time in the woods, and uh, if anyone's going to have any action with something mysterious, it's going to be people like that. Yeah. In those mountainous areas especially. Yeah. Get your butt in the woods, be safe, um, and learn your environment well. Learn that, you know, what, what, uh, learn your, uh, what's out there, you know, experience it. Learn that, uh, your sounds could be a possible animal that you record or that you hear, Learn what's uh, out in your area, and then uh, go from there. You know, break it down. Don't just say everything's a Sasquatch because it's not. Far from it. Uh, nine times out of ten, yeah, like or ten times out of ten, it's not going to be a Sasquatch. I mean, just it's just that simple. I like the stealth mode in the woods. That's how I like to be. Just get out there, and you know, I like think I have a keen sense of smell as well. I was out in the woods recently, and. The snow really dampens the sound, and all of a sudden I smelled something, and I was like, I thought someone was, you know, I saw a, see a person, and all of a sudden it was Tracker Tom came up behind me. I didn't hear him, I didn't see him, but I smelled him. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Yeah, it's a, the snow is does some interesting things out there. All right, everyone, we'll see you later. Thanks, all. MXR out.